Good, good evening, Emmaus. So I think everyone here probably knows me by now. My name is Sarasa. I am your campus director. If you didn't know, hopefully you know by now. Um, if you guys want to hear some more of my testimony, I'm not really going to share too much about it. But if you guys want to know more about my personal story, then I encourage you to go back to the sermon I preached three weeks ago called On the Road to Emmaus that I preached. I shared kind of like a snippet of my testimony in there. Uh, we don't have time for that today, so I encourage you to go back. Before I get into the word, let me just pray for us real quick. Close your eyes. Um, Father, we just thank you, God, for another awesome large group tonight. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you have a very specific word to give to the students tonight. And so, Father, I just pray, would you anoint my lips and uh, calm my nerves and uh, give me some extra boost of energy as I feel a bit tired today. But Father, I thank you, Lord, that nonetheless, your word will go out with power and anointing and authority. So, Father, I pray for just uh, attentive hearts and opened ears, God, to hear and receive your word today. We just thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so before I begin, uh, I'm going to give a bit of disclaimer. So up until Sunday night, I was pretty sure that I was going to preach a sermon about something. But as I woke up on Monday morning and I was preparing a bit, I, I didn't feel good about it. And so I was like, dang, I don't know if I should go with this route. So I prayed and asked God, God, what should I preach about? And he gave me a revelation and then led me to the book of Revelation. And so today... <laughs> I'm going to preach out of what I feel like God wants me to preach to you guys today. Um, however, uh, it's not an easy sermon to preach, nor is it an easy one to hear. And so, uh, yeah, I, I actually, you'll see why. But when, I, when God said, hey, I want you to preach about this, I was like, God, are you sure? And he said, yes, I'm sure. So out of faith, I'm going to preach that word today. Are you guys ready? All right. Uh, so... So what I preach tonight, it, it might be refreshing to some of you guys, but then for some of you guys, you guys might feel like you're getting punched in the face. But for me personally, I like those sermons where I leave feeling punched in the face because those are the ones that kind of change me the most. And so uh, both responses are good. And so I hope that one of them is your response. All right. Before we read the passage, I'm going to give you guys some background information regarding the book of Revelation. So what happened was there's Apostle John and he's at an island, and he has a vision. In his vision, Jesus appears to him and says, hey, I want you to dictate these things, these letters that I have to these seven churches in the Asia Minor, okay? And so what John does is he, he's just account, recounting Jesus' letters. Um, and so it's to these churches. And so in modern day today, churches can look at these letters and glean from it. But also us as individuals, we can look at these letters and see how uh, Jesus is speaking to us on an individual level as well. And so today we are going to be looking at the seventh letter, the letter to the church of Laodicea. Okay, so this is the thing. You know, in the Bible, there's some like weird, not weird, but you know, words that are hard to say. And so I actually constantly googled like how to pronounce this how to pronounce this how to pronounce that and so i think i'm pronouncing correctly but i might be wrong but if any of you guys are like hebrew greek scholars then you guys can correct me but if not just we're just going to go with laodicea okay i'm going to say it like 50 times in the sermon all right so please open up your bibles to revelation chapter 3 revelation chapter 3 I like your phone Bibles. Very nice. If you guys have a real Bible, try to bring that out with you. 
But, you know, the electronic one's good, too. It's quick. All right, I'm going to read it for you guys. If you can just follow along. It's Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Uh, I'll read it in the ESV. Revelation. It's the very last book in the Bible. I'll read. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and shame, uh, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve, it's salve, not salve, I looked it up. <laughs> Sev to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Those are the words of Jesus. So I think you guys can kind of see what I'm going to preach on tonight. But all right. I'm going to break down this passage in a bit for you, but before I do, it's important that we understand some things about Laodicea, the city of Laodicea. So I did some research for you guys. I like researching. So Laodicea was an important, wealthy, if not the wealthiest city um, during the Roman times, okay, during that time. It was widely known for its baking, banking, not baking, banking, <laughs> banking establishments. Right? They had a medical school and a textile industry. Textile means like clothing, right? They created clothing. Um... It was a noted commercial center, and some of its goods were actually exported around the world. So a lot of their clothing, and uh, one thing that they're known for, they have a medical school, one they're known for is an eye salve. Not salve, salve. And it's, if, I didn't know what it meant, so I looked it up. It means eye ointment. So they created an eye ointment that's very popular, and they exported it all around the world. So they had a lot of money. Um, yes. Laodicea's major weakness, however, was a lack of adequate water supply. So they had all these other things, but didn't have their own water supply. Because of this, they relied on outside sources to get their water. Um, yes, but, but, but also because of that, it like let, left them very reliable to attack. So whenever they got attacked by siege, which means the enemy surrounded their territory, their city, uh, it left them very vulnerable because they got water from outside of the city, right, from a city nearby like six miles away and so if they would get attacked and the enemy would surround them they can't get that water right so because they want that water they need that water what they would do often is when the enemy would attack them they would kind of compromise and just like whatever whatever the enemy wanted they'll just compromise and do it so they can have that water okay and so they'll be very accommodating to uh the enemy and so they would negotiate right and so uh their main water supply came from a six mile aqueduct from a hot springs nearby called Hier Hierapolis. <laughs> Hierapolis. It's like it's another city name, uh, six miles away. So they would get their water from that town. Okay, so it would come through an aqueduct and they would get that. Okay, and so because it came from six miles away, I don't know how long that took to get to them, the water always arrived lukewarm. Okay, and so they got it from hot springs, Hierapolis is a town that has hot springs, natural hot springs, and Laodicea would get water from them, but it, whenever it arrived to them, it'd be lukewarm, okay? And so, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, today's sermon title is, you ready, Sharon? <laughs> it's, it's called Lukewarm Christianity. 
I tell you guys, when I was serving prepping this, I was getting so convicted. Like in the cafe, I was like, oh, like six times uh, because there's some good stuff in here. All right. Let me begin. Let me break down this passage to see what Jesus is trying to say to the church of Laodicea about lukewarm Christianity. Okay. So here's what Jesus knows about the church in Laodicea. In verses 15 to 16, Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay. Ooh, Jesus. All right. So it's perfect that Jesus uses these words to, in his letter to Laodicea, because Laodicea knows a thing or two about lukewarmness. Okay. Because the water they drank every day was lukewarm. Okay. Because it's, they're getting it from six miles away. Okay, and I told you earlier that their main water supply was from a town that was called Hierapolis, and their hot springs water was known for healing, right? Hot water heals, and so um, their water was known for healing. There was another town um, 10 miles south of the city called Colossae, right? Colossae, and Colossae was known for their ice-cold waters that are for, they're known for refreshing, right? It's refreshing, it's pure, it's drinkable, okay? But all Laodicea had was lukewarm water. Right? That's all that they had. Whether they got it from Herapolis or they got it from Colossae, it was always lukewarm. Okay? So they know what lukewarm is, right? Uh, lukewarm water is pretty disgusting. And I would say it's pretty useless. Think about it. <laughs> Do you ever go to Starbucks, right? You go to Starbucks and you go to the counter. You go, hey, barista, can I get Americano? Right? And then the barista is like, sure, would you like that hot or iced? And would you ever say, oh, actually, can I get that lukewarm, please? Like, no one does that, right? No one says, can I get a lukewarm Americano? No, no one does that, right? And and actually, for me, I love coffee. I'm an avid coffee drinker. I'm pretty addicted to coffee. And so I I love getting a hot coffee when it's cold outside, right? During winter, we're just coming out of winter. I always ordered a hot Americano. But when I would let it sit, because I never drink it in time. Like I don't think many people drink it in time before it's, like, cold, you know, a little bit. But there's always, like, maybe halfway through, like, I'm working and I drink it and it's, like, lukewarm what do I do? Do I drink it? No, I usually throw it away. Unless there's a microwave. But I just throw it away. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, college students. I, 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 yeah, I don't really... I should probably just drink it. But I, I throw it away because it's, like, gross, you know? Like, lukewarm coffee is it's no, no bueno, you know? And so, anyways, right? Um, the hot water that Herapolis had, right? The, the Herapolis, the hot springs water, it had value. It had use, right? The cold water that Colossae had, it had use. It had value, right? It's refreshing, right? And so, but the water that, um, was it, Laodicea had was useless, right? Um, and so, lukewarm water that Laodicea have didn't have much use, right? Just like the water that they had, the church in Laodicea supplied neither healing, right? Just like their waters, they didn't have hot water that was good for healing. The church in Laodicea didn't have anything to offer, right, in terms of healing the spiritually sick, nor did it have anything refreshment, like refreshing for the spiritually weary, Right? Just like their waters were not refreshing for their people, okay? And so in the spiritual sense, lukewarmness is a picture of indifference and compromise. Okay, we know that the Odyssey, they're a city of kind of compromise, right? Like I said, when enemies attacked them, they kind of just gave in to whatever they wanted because they just needed to protect their lukewarm water, right? But yeah, lukewarmness, it tries to play in the middle, right? Too hot to be cold, too cold to be hot right? But in trying to be both things, they end up being nothing and useless, right? Their waters were useless, right? And it caused Jesus to actually say to them, hey, 
uh, I'm going to spit you, or another translation says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I don't think you want to be vomited out of Jesus' mouth, okay? But that's what he said. That's how much he hated lukewarmness, right? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you were hot or cold, I could do something with you. Because you are neither, I will do nothing. Right? That's pretty much what he's saying to Laodiceans, okay? Um, and, I, and Jesus, like, why would, he, why would he say, would that you were either cold or hot? He's pretty much saying, I wish you were either cold or hot, right? I mean, of course, Jesus' deepest desire was that the Laodiceans would be hot, right? On fire for the Lord, right? But here he's saying, I, I would almost prefer you be cold, then lukewarm. Why? Why would he say that? Because when you're cold, you know you're in need of warmth, right? When you're cold outside, you're not wearing a jacket instead of winter, and you're cold, you know that you need warmth. So you're going to try to warm up, get warmed up. But when you're lukewarm, it's almost like, I have just enough. I don't need to be warm. I'm, I'm good. You're not aware that you're cold, that you need warmth, right? So that's why he's almost saying, this is why I'd rather you be cold, because then you know that you, there's a need. You need something, right? But if you're lukewarm, you have just enough to protect yourself from that need, right? What Jesus wanted to change in them and in us is a deceptive playing of the middle, trying to please both the world and Jesus, right? Did you guys know that Satan prizes a lukewarm religionist far above a cold-hearted sinner? Let me give you guys an example. I really like C.S. Lewis. I quoted him before in another book. Oh, you guys, who likes C.S. Lewis? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, when I was younger, I read the screw tape letters and I did not understand it because if you don't understand the way that it's written, it makes no sense to you. Okay. So I'll explain the screw tape letters. Um, it teach, I like it because it teaches us Christianity, but in a very interesting perspective. Okay. And so the book is essentially a series of letters written by a senior demon named Uncle Screwtape. That's his name. And he's writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood, who's like a junior tempter. Right? And Wormwood, the nephew, he is assigned a new Christian. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get that Christian away from God, right? To turn away from God. And so Uncle Screwtape is kind of giving him, uh, writing him letters to give him advice, right? And how to keep this man, this new Christian, away from God, okay? So it's very interesting. But letter 12 is actually about lukewarm Christianity, if you didn't know. If you have that book, you should go back and read letter 12. But in that, Screwtape writes his nephew, but do remember... The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, right? To screw tape, the enemy is God, okay? It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effective is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, Okay? Let me read that one more time. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Right? The senior demon is essentially saying, look, it doesn't matter how big or small the sins are. All that matters in the end is that you separate the man from God. But the best way to do this is gradually so they don't know. Right? Don't make it too flashy. Don't make it too big. Right? Just make it very subtle. So the man doesn't know that you're what we're trying to do, right? Um, so don't don't let them know that what they're doing is wrong, right? So basically, you want to fly under the radar, right? That's the way Satan works. It's his strategy, okay? And so sometimes we focus so much on big sins that we forget the bigger issue is often the slippery slope of small offenses that where each one kind of pulls us farther away from God, but we don't realize that it's happening to us, right? 
It's the years of being Christian, but allowing apathy to kick in gradually until you kind of just like, oh, Christian, like, what is that? Oh, church, oh, I haven't gone in a long time, like, whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, apathy is a strong tool in the kingdom of evil. Did you guys know that? Apathy is a very strong tool in the kingdom of evil. To Satan, to Satan, to Satan, there is nothing better than an apathetic Christian who isn't effective, right, in his faith and doesn't make any difference in the kingdom of God. Right? That's what they want. That's what the enemy wants. That's what Satan wants. Did you know that lukewarmness could also turn people away from Christianity? You should, right? It could turn people away from Jesus, right? Charles Spurgeon, he's one of my favorite Christian theo- theologians. Theologians? There we go. The- Thank you, guys. Theologians. Is that wrong still? All right, I'm not going to say it anymore. All right, so he said in one of his sermons addressing a lukewarm, lukewarm person. Okay, listen very carefully. This, is, this might hurt a little bit. You guys ready? Now, lukewarm professor, what do worldlings see in you? They see a man who says he is going to heaven, but who is only traveling at a snail's pace. He professes to believe that there is a hell, yet he has tearless eyes and never seeks to snatch souls from going down into the pit. They see before them one who has to deal with eternal realities, yet he is but half awake. One who professes to have passed through a transformation so mysterious and wonderful that there must be, if it is true, a vast change in the outward life as a result of it. Yet they see him as much like themselves as can be. He may be morally consistent in his general behavior, but they see no energy in his religious character. Right? I read that. I was like, dang, that is some beautiful writing, Dr. Spurgeon. All right. See, I've seen the effects of lukewarm Christianity and how it literally repels non-believers. I'll give you guys an example. When I was an amazed student four years ago in my second semester, um, there was this non-believer. Uh, I'm not going to say his real name because he might listen to this and I, I want to cover him. So I'm going to call him Jordan. That is not his real name, but Jordan. Okay, Jordan. There's a friend named Jordan. He's from USC from Los Angeles. And so he was the only non-believer in our group of friends. All of us went out to Emmaus every week. He was always the type where in the beginning, he, like, we would hang out on Tuesdays and we'll all go to Emmaus and he would just like go do his own thing. He didn't necessarily party. He didn't really drink a lot because he couldn't drink. He couldn't really drink. But, um, but he was never really interested in God, right? And so every time we would have opportunities to kind of talk to him though, uh, he kind of would shut his heart and not even like let us talk about it at all, right? And so, um, but kind of we didn't want to pry we didn't want to bother him so we kind of let it go but eventually just one day i remember having a conversation with him and he actually opened up and um jordan he was telling me the reason why he doesn't like christianity the reason why he doesn't like god and he doesn't really have an interest in going out to church is because he was a part of a club a christian club a lot of clubs in california is called k kcm right korean something Something like that. It's, a, it's like a Korean-American Christian ministry, okay? And so everyone that's Korean-American, even if you're non-Korean-American, everyone's in there. It's like the popular Christian club at many universities in California. All of his friends were in that club, and there are leaders there. They're like student leaders serving. But what they would do is like they go to weekly services. They go to Sunday church with um, Sunday services at church. But then on the weekdays, they're going clubbing. They're getting drunk all the time. They're, they're, like when he examined his life and their life, there was nothing different. So when he's like, just because you're Christian, you have that title, but you don't even, I don't see a difference. So why would I even bother? There's no point. And that's literally what he told us in my face saying, this is why I don't want to go to church with you guys. Because I'm, I'm surrounded by you guys. And there's nothing different between you and me. 
So why would I, why would I join that? And to the end, he did not join Emmaus. He did not turn to God. And he's still my friend. But I was like, dang, that sucks, you know? But what can we do? You know, what can you do? But that's what lukewarm Christianity, this culture Christianity does. It repels non-believers. It turns them away from Jesus. They literally, he literally does not have any interest because he's like, I don't see any difference. You say that there's a transformation, but I don't see it. So why would I want to be Christian? Why do I want that? I don't want to waste my time, right? This is exactly what we don't want, right? We don't want to be lukewarm Christians. We don't want to be ineffective and useless. And we certainly don't want to turn people away from God, right? Um, we don't want to be playing the middle ground and continue living lives like of compromise like the Laodiceans did, right? They didn't know how to guard what they had, right? They just gave into compromise all the time. Heavy stuff, right? We're only through like the first verse of this thing, okay? But uh, up until here, we see what Jesus knows about the church of Laodicea. He knows that they're a lukewarm church, okay? Um, but this is not what Jesus has against the church, right? We hear, we're going to hear and learn about what Jesus has against the church. But I promise you there's light at the end of the tunnel, okay? It's not just hopelessness. Just wait. It's coming, okay? So in verse 17, Jesus says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Okay, the church at Laodicea lacked a sense of spiritual poverty. Right? They looked at all they had and they said, oh, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, we don't need anything. We have everything we need. But I told you at the beginning of the sermon that Laodicea was one of the wealthiest cities during Roman times. Right? They profited from the textile industry and eye ointment that they exported all over the world. Right? And the natural, they were rich, but they put their confidence in their material things, right? All the material things that they had in outward luxury and in physical health. That's what they prize. That's what they put their confidence in. Um, but in Philippians chapter 3, we are told not to put our confidence in the flesh. Amen? All right. <laughs> but this is exactly what the Laodiceans were doing. They are putting their confidence in their flesh, in their money, in their wealth, in their health. Okay? Um, you know, I read that after an earthquake devastated this area, there was an earthquake that devastated Laodicea. And so the Roman um, imperial government offered to help rebuild the city. But the Laodiceans actually said, no, we don't need your help. We can do it on our own. So they successfully rebuilt their own city. That's how much pride they had in their own resources, in their own might. That they even just said, I don't need your help, Imperial Guard. I'm going to do it myself, right? They didn't need outside help. They didn't ask for it, and they didn't want it, right? They were too rich to accept help from anyone, right? That's their attitude. That's their heart. It wasn't uh, that the church of Laodicea wasn't spiritually poor. They were spiritually poor. They were just blind to it, right? They looked at their situation and said, rich, rich, and rich. Right? But Jesus looked at their spiritual condition and said, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Right? It's ironic because Laodicea was known, known for its financial wealth, but Jesus called them poor. Right? They were known for their famous eye ointment that people uh, wanted from all over the world. Right? They wanted it, so they shipped it. But Jesus called them blind. Right? They had a booming textile industry that created clothes, fine clothing, but Jesus called them naked. Right? Isn't that ironic that all these things that they think they are, Jesus is saying, no, you're not, right? That's actually, you're actually the opposite, okay? So this is what Jesus had against them. They were literally the opposite of what Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? The Laodiceans were poor in spirit, but they could not see it. They were blind. They didn't know it. But I believe that uh, because they couldn't see their need for Jesus, this led them to their lukewarm lives, okay? They were just content with what they had. Is there no hope for a church like Laodicea? 
there's always hope, right? There's always hope, right? And so in verses chapter, uh, verses 18 through 19, we see what Jesus wants the church of Laodicea to do, right? Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself and shame and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see, right? Change for the Laodiceans would begin uh, by understanding their spiritual poverty in the same way we need to see Jesus's, uh, our need for Jesus in our lives, you know as long as we believe there's no need, we're not giving Jesus room to move, right? If we don't need him, he's not, what can he do, right? Um, we can't receive from Jesus if there's no need, if we don't need him, right? The Laodiceans were self-reliant, but Jesus was trying to teach them, hey, rely on me, right? Don't rely on all your resources. I know you got all these things, which, by the way, you got because of me, but you need to learn how to rely on me, right? Not on those things that you got from me, right? Rather than the money that you have, come get from me gold that is refined by fire and and taste and see what real wealth is like, right? What it means to be rich, right? You may have uh, bougie wool to make nice garments you got on, right? And clothes that you can wear, fine clothes, but you're naked, right? Come come to me and get garments, you know, to clothe your nakedness, right? I, and you may have a, like, famous eye ointment that people want from all over the world, but you're blind, right? Come Come to me and let me open your eyes so you can see how spiritually dead you are. Let me open up your eyes so you can see the good things I have for, for you, right? That's what Jesus is saying to them in this letter, right? And this letter is known to be a rebuke to the church, right? Jesus, but Jesus says in verse 19, to those whom I love, I reprove, or that means correct, and discipline, so be zealous and repent, right? How many of us know that God disciplines those that he loves? <laughs> Rena's like the A-plus student, She's like, <laughs> right, right? God disciplines those whom he loves, right? Even though this church was lukewarm, it was a lukewarm church, one that didn't see her need for Jesus, had Jesus lost his love for this church? No, right? Not at all. Jesus' love was expressed in his rebuke, right? If he didn't love them, he would let them go down their path of destruction, right? Of self-reliance, of lukewarmness. He would let them, leave them alone. Because he loves them, he's writing this letter to them saying, hey, y'all need to wake up, right? He instructs them to be zealous and repent, to turn from their ways and to look to Jesus again. <clears throat> the ancient Greek word zealous actually comes from the same word as hot, right? Zealous equals hot. So he's saying rather than continue to be lukewarm, right? Jesus wanted the church to be hot with zeal for the Lord, right? Hot, the goal, right? So can I, can I walk you a, a little bit through why I decided to, <laughs> Bernadette's like, no, uh, let me walk you through why I decided to preach on lukewarmness, okay? So I came to the realization that lukewarm Christianity is a big problem in the church today, right? Um, how? Uh, I'll kind of explain. So if you know my story, you know that I, I did grow up in the church, uh, technically, but uh, I didn't really have a relationship with God, right? Um, my life was pretty much lukewarm. I think more than lukewarm, it was just backslidden. But, you know, I was one of, I was one of those Christians that Charles Spurgeon talked about in his quote earlier, uh, where if someone looked at my life and they knew I had that Christian tag, but kind of examined my lifestyle, they would probably be like, I don't understand what was the difference between me and you. You do the same things as me, but you're just like a title by Christian. So, but what is that? You know, what does that mean, right? And so, um, yeah, I was one of those. My life did not exemplify Christ at all. He was not lifted high in my life. I did not glorify him through anything that I did. But I came to study abroad in Korea in 2012 for a year. I was in Emmaus. I met God. 
It got radically transformed. I went home, okay? And so I was hanging out with one of my high school friends. I'm not going to say her name either because she might listen to this. High school friends. And um, she was known in our friend group to be like the token Christian girl, okay? So in high school, I hung out with like this group of Korean Americans. We're all Korean Americans. And then um, all of us, you know, partied and drank and did stupid things together. But she was like the one token Christian girl in that group. So like even if we went to parties together, she would like not drink. She would just sit there and just, like, laugh with us. Um, she, she took pride in saying that, oh, yeah, I didn't have my first sip of alcohol until I was 21. Right? She's one of those girls. And I'm not trying to, like, say, like, oh, like, you know, try to categorize them or something. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you guys and that you guys understand that, uh, yeah, this is, this is the kind of friend that I had, okay? And, I, and she was actually, I, I believe that she genuinely loved the Lord. Her love for the Lord was sincere, okay? And so I'm not trying to downplay or make fun of her. But um, I had this friend, and I met up with her after I came back from Korea, and I was kind of explaining to her all that had happened, that I encountered God powerfully, that I'm on fire, that I love Jesus, that Jesus did this and Jesus did that, and, like, I, my life's never going to be the same. And she was sitting there listening to me, and she was kind of amused, and, like, she was, like, thankful, but also she was kind of saddened. And, and her response was like that because she was like, you know, I've been, like, Christian all my life. I've never, like, committed, like, huge sins. But how come I can't identify with the Jesus that you're talking about? Like that Jesus, I don't know that Jesus that you're talking about. I've, I've never, I can't talk about Jesus the way you talk about Jesus. And she was really troubled after our meeting, right? Because she was like, I've been a Christian longer than you. But how come I can't talk about Jesus in that way? Or I don't, I don't think, I can't see myself talking. I've never experienced that before. What, is, what does it mean to be on fire for God? And what does that feel like? And so I left that conversation like, Dang, that's when I kind of thought, like, man, like, lukewarmness is, is all up in the church, right? And, and it's, it's scary if you don't really know that you're living that way. And actually, she was the one that was told, telling me, I, when I listen to you, I feel like I am lukewarm. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. I, I've been committed all my life, but I, I don't know, right? I don't, I, the, the way that the Jesus that you're talking about is not the one that I know, right, all my life. And so, yeah. I think I came to this realization, and I had this conversation with Heji one day, too, during our, during our discipleship. I don't even remember. But I feel like people get to this point where they are very confident in God's love, as in you confident in who God is, so you'll never walk away from God. Right? You're confident in who God is. You'll never walk away from him. But at the same time, you're kind of stuck in this place where you're in a place of complacency and lukewarmness, but you don't know what to do. But like, you're not going to walk away from God because you know God is good, and he's real, and I'm scared to go to hell right but 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 i'm kind of like oh but like i'm kind of i'm not feeling it you know like i don't really know what to do so you're kind of like in this like this awkward place right and i feel like a lot of christians are kind of like that where um yeah they're kind of in a place of complacency lukewarmness because they can't see their need for jesus in their lives right and so when you get to this kind of place and sometimes you start compromising things right i'm gonna compromise this i'm gonna compromise that and gradually you get on that gradual slope that uh that I was talking about earlier, right? Um, yeah, and then, you know, one day you kind of, se- you're, you're separating yourself every day by doing that. I think that's kind of a dangerous place to be, okay? But there's this quote that I posted onto my Facebook yesterday that I, that I found as I was preparing, and a lot of you guys actually liked it. Uh, J-Matt really liked it, right? And, and I'm going to read it to you guys, but I want, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it, and I want you guys to just let the words just sink in, okay? I had to do that in the cafe when I was preparing. I read it. It hurt a little bit. I don't know why it hurt me, but it just hurt. It hurt. I feel like it hurt someone, right? But I, and just let it sink in and just think about it, okay? This is a quote. 
Deep down, there is no one more miserable than the lukewarm Christian is. They have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, but too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. Let me read that one more time. Deep down, there's no one more miserable than the lukewarm Christian is. They have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, but too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. Is that true or is that true? Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? Okay, by the way, J-Mat, that quote is from Pastor David Guzik. He's, a, he's really no, well known for his Bible commentary. Anyways, so yeah, you know, some of you guys, for some of you guys, this quote resonates deep in your heart, right? And you can feel the words kind of cutting deep. Why? Because for some of you, this is so true, right? You aren't truly satisfied in Jesus because you're too caught up in the world, right? But also, you can't be completely in the world because you've got Jesus in you, right? For example, um, let's see. For, so for, for the first part, right, that you have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, uh, it's like, oh, man, this Christian life is boring. Oh, like, oh, like, I, I want to go do this. I want to go do that, right? Christ, being Christian is lame. There's all these rules. Let me live my life, God. I want to do this. I want to do that, right? You aren't, you aren't satisfied because there's so many things that you want to do of this world. This world is pulling you one end, right? But there's, on, on the other hand, you're not cons- completely satisfied with things of this world either, right? And in fact, sometimes you literally can feel your spirit getting grieved when you're out. You're going out and you're walking down the street on a Friday night and there's all these drunk people and you're like, oh, like, why is it, why is the world like this? Or you see injustice and you don't understand why this is happening, right? And you hear, you, you know, for me too, before I was Christian, like, I didn't have any problem getting drunk and cussing and even listening to, like, rap music and stuff like that. But after I got transformed by the ruining of my mind, after I met Jesus, like, I still listen to rap music, but there's times where I'm listening to some songs and I'm like, dang, I can't listen to that. Like, you can't ignore the lyrics sometimes and you're like, dude, like, that's horrible. If people know what they're talking about, they would not sing that song. You know what I mean? Right? Some of them, some of them, like J. Cole and stuff. Some of them, I can't. Okay? But, like, th- you know why that happens? It's because you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus has transformed your heart. He's transformed your mind. So the things of this world doesn't really satisfy you the way it used to. Because it's not supposed to. Right? But at the same time, you're kind of in this other side where, oh, you want Jesus and you know the church is good, but you're not completely sold on that end either because there's other things that are pulling you. Right? So what do you do, right? This quote is so true, right? It's exhausting to try to play the middle, guys. One foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom isn't as easy as you think. That's why a lot of you guys might feel exhausted in your faith, right? Because you're trying to do both things, but it's not working out for you, right? Because you're not meant to live that way, right? Jesus did not die on the cross, right? So you guys can live a lukewarm life. He didn't die and resurrect so you guys can live a mediocre life, a life that's kind of both feet in this world and out, right? He died so you can have an abundant life, right? What Jesus has for you is far greater than anything you can get from this world, right? How do I know that? Because I used to live in this world. I, I live buck wild in the world, okay, by the way. I experienced a lot of things, but if, the, if that, those things were so good, I would not be standing here preaching a sermon to you guys. I'd be out doing those things. But I understand that this life that I'm li- living right now is so much better, right? It's so much better. Uh, am I rich? Like, in the, in the real world, no. I live off support, guys. I raise support for a living. But am I rich? Heck yeah, in the spirit I am. Dude, I have treasures up in heaven. Like, stacked, okay? Right? Right? For the Laodiceans, this was all that they knew. Lukewarm water, a lukewarm lifestyle, money, fame, glory, reputation, health, 
right? But Jesus was saying, you missed it, church. It's not all about that. It's not all about the wealth, money, fame, glory, right? He's saying you missed it, church, but in God's great mercy and grace, he extends an invitation to them at the end, right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Kate, hi, Kate, to kind of play the keys for us as, I, as we close. But in verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I want you guys to just, uh, you guys can stand up. Actually, no, no, stay seated. (laughs) If you guys can close your eyes, just close your eyes and just imagine this, okay? You're inside a house. You're inside a house. And you are, the house is filled with everything that you need. You got your sofas. You got your TV. You got all your food. You got all your books. You got everything, right? You're content. You feel like you got it all. You're in this house with everything that you need, but you look around and you're alone. You're all alone. Right? I picture Jesus standing outside the door. This Jesus that died for us, this Jesus that doesn't need to be standing outside, but he's standing outside your door waiting for you to open up and let him in. The thing about Jesus, guys, is uh, he doesn't need to knock. He can come right in come right in but jesus is a gentleman right he's a gentleman and and what he wants is he wants to see your heart right he wants the cooperation of the human heart he says if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in to him and eat with him he's saying if you respond to my call it's my promise to dine with you it's my promise to fellowship with you i will never leave you nor forsake you Right, can you identify with the church of Laodicea? Right, are you lukewarm? Or maybe you didn't even know you were lukewarm. And it took a letter from Jesus. It took a sermon from me to help you realize the slippery slope you were heading on. Right, you've been relying on other things to fulfill a need that you have. Right, you found your security and finances more than Jesus. You find your comfort in relationships more than relationship with Jesus. You think you can do all things by yourself without the help of Jesus. But what I feel like is I feel like God wants to revive hearts tonight. You are not supposed to live a lukewarm life. One foot in the world, one foot outside, that's not how it is. But I understand it's hard, right? What do you do when you're in this place? A lot of you guys are like, what do I do when I'm in this place? What you need is more of Jesus. So what you need to identify is, God, I need you. Even though I have all these things, I need you. Right? You heard it tonight, guys. Jesus despises the lukewarm heart. So if, you're feel, if you've been feeling like you've been living a lukewarm life, you've been living a life of compromise, I want you guys to make a fresh commitment tonight. Repent. He says, repent and be zealous for God. I feel like he wants you guys to repent and choose today to live a life on fire for God. You don't need to know how that works. You don't need to know all these things. You just got to make a choice first, a decision first, right? I feel like he's inviting you guys to answer that call, right? To repent, to not live a lukewarm life, to not go down that slippery slope, to not fall into the schemes of the enemy. It's if you would like to respond with in faith saying, God, I don't want to go down that road. God, I want to live a life 
on fire for you. Even though I don't know what that means, God, I, I choose to go that route. I choose to be committed fully to you. I want you guys to stand up to your feet. Right? He's inviting you tonight to open the door to your heart. All you need to do is respond as an act of faith. So I'm going to give you guys time. If that's you, I want you guys to stand to your feet.